Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for April 7th, 2019. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, I'm going to go out of order here. Welcome, Tim Shiflett. Uh, good evening, sir, and so far I'm it. <laughs> so. And that's what I was wondering, since Tim's going to be running the board tonight, uh, Catherine should be joining us any second now, but until then, it's Tim and I. But Tim and I know what we want to talk about. Uh, in Georgia politics, for a long time, we have been waiting to get a U.S. Senate candidate. Um, we assumed it would be Stacey Abrams making a decision, and then you get a candidate. But this past week, uh, late in the week, uh, Columbus Mayor Teresa Tomlinson decided that Georgia Democrats, uh, Georgia voters, could just wait no longer and she's jumped in the race. Um, Tim, what's your thoughts on this uh, decision by Teresa Tomlinson? Well, you know, like you said, we've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and wondering and wondering and wondering. So uh, former Mayor Tomlinson went ahead and took the first, I guess we should call it, official step of entering the race by announcing the formation of an exploratory committee which you have to do, and I believe you have to announce an initial $5,000 expenditure to actually enter um, a U.S. Senate race in the state of Georgia. Uh, now, I imagine that if Stacey Abrams uh, chooses to pass on the race that we already have, uh, the candidate getting in the race who would probably be the strongest remaining likely candidate in Mayor Tomlinson. Uh, but Tomlinson, David, will might have some other uh, major contenders in her way, even if Stacey Abrams doesn't get in the race. John Asa, uh, who, who we all know, um, who made a name for himself by running, running for Congress, um, he he's talking about getting uh, in, as is uh, Sarah Riggs Amico, who ran a very good campaign for lieutenant governor last year. Uh, if Abrams is out, I believe that one or both of them will likely get in the race as well. Although Teresa Tomlinson seems to be the front runner. And there's and you know people have heard some talk about Jason Carter and Michelle now, but I, I don't look for either of them uh, to get in. Do you? Uh, well, I could see Jason Carter more than uh, Michelle Nunn, um, just because he hadn't run with you know in this race before, if you will, mm-hmm. um, whereas Michelle Nunn did. Uh, but but I guess the the biggest thing is is we need to discuss two things: is how does this affect Stacey Abrams running? And then, of course, we need to analyze how much of advantage does Teresa Tomlinson get from this. Uh, that first question, Tim, do you think this puts any pressure on Stacey Abrams to get in the race now or, or make a decision quicker since Teresa Tomlinson's in the race, even though her press release had at least two paragraphs, almost sounding like she'd step down if she needed to? Well, you know what? I would think she would need to make a decision Oh, I would say by the end of this month. I I would say she has two or three weeks left to make a decision on this race. She can hold off on making a decision on anything else, like a presidential run or like positioning herself to be a vice presidential candidate uh, and, of course, later on uh, running running for governor if she chooses to do that. But I think she's going to have to now – uh, make a decision pretty pretty fast. You know, it's interesting. Republicans who have uh, spoken up about this 
only seem to be worried about Abrams. They 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 at least publicly expect Purdue to dispatch any others that are running handily. And they say they're thinking there is that they believe the Democrat that that could win this race would have to come from the Atlanta metro area. What what do you think about their reasoning there? I I don't think that's necessarily true. I think you can run from some so we do better in other parts of the state and I don't think there's a lot of Metro Atlanta voters that are just gonna gun somebody from the, since they're from Columbus or whatnot. Uh-huh. Um I I I I don't see their 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 thinking either. I uh I I believe Purdue is a little more vulnerable than they think or say that he is. Um and I see here that I am now the only caller on the board. So I will go ahead and uh keep talking at the moment. Um, We are talking about the Georgia Senate race. We're talking about Teresa Tomlinson. I personally believe she will be a fairly strong candidate, and I see, David, you are back with me now. Uh, Yeah, um, I'm sorry about that. Can you hear me, buddy? I can, and I'm walking to the World Congress Center, and the call dropped, even though once again I had three or four bars. Who knows? Uh, Uh Pretty crazy here. But, um, yeah, I think as I was saying, it's, you know, when she was on Morning Joe's, Stacey Abrams, she kind of alluded to the fact that she sees this as kind of a, a three-part decision. And one of those parts was, oh, if she runs for president or not. Well, to me, if you're saying mm-hmm. you're going to run for U.S. Senate, you can't then go back and run for president. So that kind of to right. me, told me that I don't think she's going to run for U.S. Senate. I don't think her heart's in it. And, therefore, that's fine. Just um, yeah, move, but you move out of the way so folks like Teresa Tomlinson can run. Yeah, but now on the second part of that, there are, as we speak, seventeen announced candidates for president on the Democratic yeah. side, and we are expecting three, uh, and a couple of them fairly heavy hitters in McAuliffe and Biden, uh, perhaps within a, in a week. This, this field's going to grow to over 20 people. Where does, where does Stacey Abrams fit into that if she decides to wait till the fall of the year when the field will be complete, when everyone will have uh, hired, uh, you know, all the professional help, when everyone will have raised tens of millions of dollars? Uh, so I'm saying if she doesn't jump in the presidential race right now, there's no need for her to do that either, is there? Yeah, I don't think there's any way she can really run a, a you know, a, a same kind of campaign all these other candidates are running because, once again, fundraising. We're seeing these folks raise, some in cases, tens of millions of dollars. Um, we're seeing mm-hmm. folks, you know, hire all the consultants. I mean, there's just an article today saying that um, – uh, Joe Biden and, and uh, Mayor Pete are fighting for some of the same pool of um, consultants. And so, therefore, mm-hmm. all these high-quality consultants would be taken up. You know, fundraising, I guess you'd say, well, I would get a new group of donors, not the same ones. Um, and then I guess maybe the thinking would be if some people don't catch fire, they drop out, and then you could hire some of their consultants. But then you'd be picking up some of the people that didn't weren't, weren't with a winning team. Um, now, you could say it was yeah. the candidate, not the consultants in that case, but it's just a, a strange dynamic. I, I think maybe a better option, if she could somehow stay relevant, is if um, she could become a VP nominee for somebody, not Joe Biden on the front end, but in a traditional sense for a Mayor Pete or Beto O'Rourke, because they're saying you know, if it's a white male, it's, it's, her odds go up. Of being the nominee or the or the VP pick, something like that. But then you're putting your whole political future in someone else's hands. Now, of course, it could be that she mm-hmm. really wants to be governor of Georgia, not senator of Georgia, and then that you know becomes a different calculation, and she should just go with that. Uh, but I'm kind of excited that you know Teresa Tomlinson 
took this bold step and jumped in the race. Um, uh-huh. Let's kind of talk about that now. How big an advantage does this give her if she jumps in two months ahead of time and jumps in at a time in which there was a little bit of mystery, if you will, ahead of um, any other candidate, be it, you know, Jason Carter, um, uh, some other names you had mentioned, if she's the first one? Well, how big an advantage she, is that for it is going to be a massive advantage. She's going to line up everything. She's going to line up her fundraisers. Uh, she's going to line up her staff. Most important, she's going to line up the support and endorsement of, uh, you know, the heavy hitters in the Democratic Party around the state. That's not going to leave a lot of oxygen in the room for for some of the others, say, a John Ossoff or or Sarah Riggs Amico, if they should decide to do so. Um, so I think, you know, I, I'm just going to say it, if Stacey Abrams is not in the race, I would say that our nominee just announced. Now, I could be jumping the gun on that, but I, I believe that, that Mayor Tomlinson, uh, who has received pretty rave reviews from folks around the state, she seems to have... Uh, Good things said about her from um, the the most left wing of the party to the most uh, you know conservative wing of the party uh, and the moderates in between. She's been mayor of of a, a good sized city, so she's got some political chops to fall back on. Um, she's young. She's energetic. I, I believe uh, that she is our she. I, I believe she'll be our nominee. And I, I, despite what these Republicans say, I think demographics are dictating uh, we're going to have ourselves some close statewide races for a while now. I don't. I don't see after last year uh, how how they would say otherwise. Maybe, maybe they have to do that to show the flag, but I, I don't really believe they believe that. Uh, I believe that Purdue's numbers are anemic enough that uh, he's not going to pull off away from anybody. And I don't think Trump's going to help him that much in this state next year. Trump only won the state by five points. Uh, why Why should uh, he have long coattails in Georgia? Donald Trump could lose this state next year and actually be a liability. And David Perdue's gone all in with Trump, too, hasn't he? And that's going to be actually probably one of the most, if not the most, major issue we're talking about in this race from now on. Don't you think so, how close David Perdue is to Donald Trump? Most definitely. I think he's tied himself to Donald Trump for good or bad, and I think with the trend of the state, that may be more bad. Another thing, I think, you know, Georgia Democrats, whoever, whoever the the nominee is, they have to run against David Perdue and the way that he treated people that just wanted to ask questions of him. If you remember the Macaca mm-hmm. moment in Virginia, um, that looked terrible for George Allen. George Allen used words, though. He didn't smack a phone out of somebody's hand. Um, uh-huh. And so – I think because I know there's a there's a congressman in North Carolina that got in some trouble, you know, with a similar incident. Like somebody was asking him a question and just really ripped into him. I think that thing will have legs if people use it correctly in the ads because it does, you know, speak to temperament. Um, if a, if mm-hmm. a constituent in Georgia wants to ask you a question and this is how you act, is that senatorial? Does that project leadership? And so I think um, that's something they can use against him as well. And, and when he won, he didn't um, win, you know, super decisively. He ran in that 2014 mm-hmm. year, and that was a good Republican trend year, which I, I will contend that, you know, that was just going to be a tough year um, for a lot of Democrats in the state. And, and Michelle Nunn read, ran, you know, credibly. She was within single fig- digits not Mm -hmm, some big divide, and that spoke to, one, the state was trending, and, two, she ran a good campaign, and he was not a great candidate. Um, But Mm -hmm. now he's going to be running in a presidential election year, 
with a Republican you know, ballot as the uh, you know, incumbent. You know, so that's not going to give him those advantages he had in 2014. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, back when Saxby Shamless was going to run for re-election after one term, the Republicans certainly put his face all over the television on all the morning talk shows and made him uh, turn him into an expert on, uh, you know, foreign affairs and uh, defense and stuff like that. And uh, I, guess, I guess it worked, even though he 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 wasn't one. They actually took his weakness and made it destroy. What are they going to do with David Perdue to try to make him some sort of expert on anything? Or are they going to go with how he supports Trump on everything? Is he going to go full Trump and say, I support this president and I'm this, and I'm that, and I'm right down the line with this president, and I vote with this president, if you reelect me, you will have someone who supports Donald Trump with no apologies. You think that'll work? I, I think he tries to go full Trump for a while. Here's the trick. He obviously has to you know, be full on right now because mm-hmm. uh, he could get primaried. I mean, you didn't matter mm-hmm. how right wing you are. If uh, somebody thinks that, that you know they could be further to the right from you, and and we see there's always room uh, to go further to whichever extreme you want to go to, they're gonna you know take and do that. Um, and so that's why he's probably gonna run close anyway. And that seems to be kind of his mo. Um, he definitely is more conservative than say Johnny Isaacson, this fellow senator. Uh-huh. Uh, more conservative than some of the congressmen. Um, so it's now a race we can talk about and have something to look at uh, with a candidate. Um, I just am kind of curious about her fundraising. Um, how did uh-huh. she raise money when she kind of said, well, you know, if Stacey Abrams gets in, uh, you know, good chance I'll stand down. Um, so what does that do with her fundraising? Because that's a different game. There, you're not sometimes so much running against other Democrats in Georgia. You're running against Doug Jones reelect in Alabama. You're running against um, Mark Kelly in Arizona. You're running against a possible nominee facing John Cornyn. Um, What's the trick there? I think think I've got the trick. It's very simple. And, you know, the big contributors need to be probably quietly told this. No your money is not going to go to waste because if Stacey Abrams runs for Senate, I'm running for governor. If Stacey Abrams runs for governor, I'm running for Senate. Either way, I'm a candidate. Either way, I'm raising money. Now, that's not something you'd want to stand on the street corner and holler. But to uh, the big contributors, especially those outside the state that would be contributing to such a campaign, I think that would work okay, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I think it gives her a chance to tour around the state as somebody. I mean, when she now, Uh you know, goes to a a Democratic meeting in Cobb County or Savannah or, um, you know, up in Dalton, wherever she goes – then she's going to be a little bit, you know, her, her appearances can carry more of a weight. Also, it'll be understandable why she's going. Like, you know, why did the mayor of Columbus show up here in, you know, Clayton County? Uh, what was the point of that? Now it'll be, oh, well, she's running for U.S. Senate. We know it. Also, one more thing. I think we got just a little more time before our guest comes on. David, uh, Jeff Singer, who we had mentioned at the top of the show, uh, given uh, the differences in our show, um, She's been making a lot of appearances just week after week on Political Rewind with Bill Nygut. Uh, Tim, do you think mm-hmm. all that extra media exposure and the chance to get in front of a camera and talk about all kind of issues, how big a benefit do you think that will be to our campaign? Oh, I think it's huge. I think she is basically announcing herself to the citizens of Georgia uh, here I am, this is who I am, I'm young, I'm new, I'm a, and I want to be part of the future of the Democratic Party uh, of Georgia, and I want to be part of the future 
of the government of of, of Georgia in, in some statewide capacity. I think that she is ready for that step. I think she is projecting an image that she is ready for that step. I've heard her some on Political Rewind. Uh, I think that... Uh, that that she is projecting that image and let me see who we have here. Is this you, Catherine? Hello. Uh, Hello. Tim Catherine's a local area coach. I I won't call out her phone number mm-hmm. on the um phone, but it's one of the three common Atlanta area codes. I I will tell you that. Um but if it's outside of Atlanta uh, Jeff usually calls in. He, he, you know, he's been in Louisiana. That's one of the ones things we're going to ask him about Louisiana politics. Yeah, well, let, let, let's um, guess. It's, it's um, this him. Is it? Hi, it's um, Jeff. Jeff, is this you? Uh, hey, Jeff, me. how are hey. you doing tonight? I'm great. Jake, go ahead and take over. Yeah. Well, take over. well Je- Jeff, uh, you got David McLaughlin on too. Catherine's not on with us yet. Um, Guys, I want to throw something a little bit different here. Uh, Tim already knows what's going on, but I need to go be a father real quick. And uh, you know, Tim, how people sometimes take your questions, whether it's me, whether it's Catherine. How about we not do that tonight? How about could you handle doing all the questions with Jeff? And then once you and Jeff are done, if you want to call it a night, uh, that'll be fine with me. Are you okay with that, Tim? Well, well, David, that's fine because I believe Catherine has just joined us. Haven't even you, better. So, so Here I'm I am. Tagging I'm out so to sorry, you guys. I'm so sorry. I'm late. I am that's tagging so out to Catherine. I'm Catherine. I'm glad you came on in because Tim knows what's going on, and I'll talk to you all more about that later. Thanks again, Jeff. Oh, great okay, to be here. Good night, David. <laughs> um, Jeff, Jeff, for your information, David David had a little bit of a family emergency that came up, and so hmm. he had to uh, excuse himself once uh, Catherine joined us. But I'll start with the questions for you. And one question I did not expect to be asking, uh, something happened about an hour ago, and I'm sure you saw it right before we went on the air news broke that uh, Kirsten Nielsen is out as Homeland Security Secretary. So the question I have for you is simple. Did Donald Trump just throw her under the bus for the failures of his admin- of his uh, immigration policy? It certainly wouldn't be out of character if he did. Um, but you never know why. People – People exit this White House for all sorts of reasons. You know, whomever Trump uh-huh. picks to replace her, who knows if they'll even be there by the time the election comes. I mean, right? Yeah, you know, whenever and when when Trump hired his new campaign, his first campaign manager for the 2020 campaign, my first thought was, well, that's his first of how many campaign managers? But we'll see. Huh. Um. Well, uh, that being dispatched with, uh, let's get into some of uh, the regular stuff that's going on. Um, And the first question I have for you is about the U.S. Senate. 34 Senate seats are up for re-election next year, and 22 of them are Republican. Now, the Democrats, of course, need a gain of three seats to claim a majority. Are there that you can see enough vulnerable Republican seats to make that happen? There are enough Republican seats to make that happen, yes, but it's going to be very difficult. We need, uh-huh. we need a lot to go right, beginning with the presidential race. Like, as you said, we need uh-huh. to net three seats to get 50, and so we can have a Democratic vice president to break ties. If we don't have a, uh-huh. if we don't have a Democrat there breaking ties, well, we're probably not going to get to 51 seats anyway. So that's the first uh-huh. thing we need to get right, and you know we, we we only need to net three, but one of the seats we're defending is Alabama, and right. you know, Doug Jones winning in the first place that was a miracle, but it's going to be very hard to hold mm-hmm. that one. So we really need to, if we lose that one, and we're well, not conceding that by any means, but if we do, that's mm-hmm. a fourth seat we have to get, and that's difficult. But there are paths, but we do need a lot to go right. Mm-hmm. Now. Uh, about Alabama, is it your feeling that the special election was 
all about Alabama voters just saying no to Roy Moore and that at any other time, even a Democratic incumbent probably couldn't hold that seat uh, with the present political landscape? I think it will be difficult, yeah. I mean, it's been a long time since uh-huh. we've had a Democratic incumbent spending anything in Alabama, but uh-huh. it, we, one of the reasons why it was we did win was we did have very good turnout from Democratic groups, um, particularly African-Americans. But even so, I, don't, I think if the Republicans had nominated pretty much anyone but Roy Moore, that person would be in the Senate right now instead of Doug Jones. And Roy Moore mm-hmm. is thinking about running again, but I just have a hard time seeing him getting the nomination again. Partially because, mm-hmm. well, for one thing, Roy Moore is one of the very few people who did defeat Donald Trump in a primary. Trump did endorse his opponent, mm-hmm. then Senator Luther Strange, but Trump kind of did it half-heartedly. He did say even at rallies for Roy Moore or for Luther Strange that, you know, I may have made a mistake by not backing Roy Moore. You know, who goes to a rally for and says, I may have made a mistake not backing your opponent. I don't think Trump's <laughs> going to do that again. He's kind of made remember Alabama his byword for why you shouldn't nominate this candidate in this other completely different state. So I uh-huh. think it's one thing for Roy Moore to be to be to be Donald Trump's candidate when Trump's not really opposing him. It's another to actually beat him when Trump is opposing him. So I just have a hard time seeing the Republicans nominating someone Roy Moore or someone nearly as bad. And in Alabama, unfortunately, we just it's a very difficult state to win unless. You're literally running against Roy Moore. Okay. One more question about Alabama, and then I'm going to throw it over to Catherine for some questions. Uh, um, because uh, you wrote about this, and, and I've got to say, uh, okay, is this for real? Uh, Representative uh, Matt uh, Gatz down in Florida, who we all love to hate, by the way, uh, is considering running for the U.S. Senate in Alabama? How, how exactly does that work? So what happened was a few days ago that was reported. Gates said, well, I may have had some discussions, but I'm planning to run in Florida. A day later, he, a reporter in Florida texted him, are you going to run for in Alabama? And Gates responds, no. So Maybe that's done with. Maybe it's not. We'll see. This is just a very odd situation. I uh-huh. I think he at least I don't know if he, I doubt he's going to run, but I think he really did think about it, or at least didn't shoot the idea down. Um, it's it's not it's it's perfectly legal for him to do that. You just need to be a resident uh-huh. of your state by election day. So it would be. Uh-huh. We we actually did take a look. Has someone ever done something like this where you're a congressman for one state and you then while you're that congressman from that state you run for the Senate in another? We found that did happen uh-huh. twice, and in both times it was a Virgi- it was a Virginia congressman running in Kentucky when Kentucky was newly created in the 1790s when George Washington was president, and a mm-hmm. Massachusetts congressman <laughs> running for Maine Senate when. Maine was created as a new state for Massachusetts after the Missouri Compromise. So um, mm-hmm. Florida's been there. Florida and Alabama have been there a bit longer than that. So right. this would be a very right. strange move. Yeah. But, 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 it's, but it's great to have a 150-year-old precedent to call up, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, th- that being said, Catherine, uh, go ahead and uh, take over. Hey, thanks for being on tonight. I apologize for coming in a little in the middle of the game. I was uh, in the middle of something else. Anyway, um, so I guess I have to ask. I mean, I have I ask everyone this. What do you think about this huge Democratic primary uh, uh, ticket or whatever, however you want to say it? Some of us refer to it as a clown car. Um, do, you th- do you think it helps us or hurts us? As Democrats, or are you are are we vanilla about it? I'm I'm kind of seeing where it's going to go. I do think a lot of these people are going to drop out before Iowa or soon after Iowa, New Hampshire. But one thing, it's not one thing that does get me is how much attention is being paid on the presidential race at the expense of everything else. 
We just had a very important Supreme Court race in Wisconsin just on Tuesday that we appear to have lost by about 6,000 votes, and turnout wasn't great. We didn't get the kind of national attention that it really did deserve, and you know, people, people can multitask. People can pay attention to the presidential race and pay attention to such important races like this, but we don't think that's really happened, and don't think the race got as much attention from presidential candidates as it probably should have. So I don't necessarily mind the presidential race, but I do mind when it gets so much attention at the expense of all these other important races down the ballot. One thing we saw that was really great in 2018 was the Democratic base. You know, at Daily Coast elections, we've been saying for years, the Senate matters, governors matter, the House matters, state legislatures matter, mayors matter. It's more than just the presidency. And in 2018, we saw the Democratic base really responded to that. We saw unprecedented fundraising from candidates in down-ballot races, and we hope to keep that going. Even with the presidential race on the ballot, we just hope that our party has recognized this is important, but it's not the only thing. Yeah, oh, I, I, I could not disagree. I could not agree with you more. It drives me crazy when all we ever talk about is, um, oh, well, when we don't talk about our local and munici- local municipal and state races because it's how it's you know where things happen and it's also how we build our base or build our mm-hmm. our um, uh, bench. Anyway, um, well, now uh, to further discuss that. Do you think that um, – so I think that it's been kind of interesting to see that, you know, we have all different candidates and they're all, like, highlighting different things. And it feels like we're talking about more than just <coughs> top things. You know, we've got, one, you know, a candidate who's really interested in climate change. We've got some that are interested in health care. And, and I think that helps us because it brings a bunch of issues to the forefront that we haven't talked about maybe enough. But yeah, I, does yeah. It, go ahead. Yeah. I do go think ahead. it's something you said about that. I mean, I know in the 2016 presidential debates, there was just so little talk about climate change or the Flint water poisoning. So just having people out there bringing those kinds of issues up, that is important in itself. I agree, but at the same time, uh, it—I don't—I don't know what I was—I don't know where I was going to go with that. But now we're let's talk about Joe Biden. Um, I don't care about all the—I don't care about all the fall draw that everybody's talking about. I mean, I—I—I I, uh, I mean, I care about it, but I don't think it's um, that important to whether. To, I think. It's Joe Biden. I don't think he's trying to sexually assault anyone. I think it's just he's just like old school, and it makes people uncomfortable, and that's not good. But but do you think he should run? Do you think is that is, will that be good for the party? Here's what I think. I think the best thing for Joe Biden to do is to be out there helping all the other candidates. If he and President Barack Obama could get out on the road and help all our can help whatever candidates we have. I think that would be the best contribution that he could make. Yeah, I think there's something to be said about that. I mean, you know, he's done some great things in office. He's done some not so great things in office. And yeah, the fact that women are coming forward and saying he touched me in a way that made me feel comfortable. I don't think that's good. And he doesn't fully seem to get, why this is bad, which I, I think, I think it's, I think he, sh- I think he should be taking a look at out. Why am I making people uncomfortable? What can I be doing right. different instead of, instead of just saying, I don't regret anything. I don't know whether he should run or not, but that's something I think he needs to spend more, much more time thinking about. Well, I think you should spend time thinking not only about that. I think you're right. He's, He has not done himself any um, favors the way he's been talking about it. But also I think think it would be good for him to really think about what the best way, what his best contribution can be. And I don't necessarily think it's running for president. I think it's being an – I mean, I'd much rather him be an elder statesman than be a laughingstock. You know, that's sort of what I think. But 
Um, are there other – okay, so um, as far as the Senate goes, are there other races besides Alabama that you think we are um, – that are, you know, pretty good, like good shots or um, not for us to be concerned about? Like, what do you think about Georgia? I guess, you know, uh, Stacey Abrams hasn't decided if she's going to run, but now uh, former Columbus mayor, Columbus, Georgia mayor, um, Teresa Tomlinson has begun an um, exploratory committee. Uh, running against about running against David Purdue. Do you think David Purdue is in a? Um, I think uh, he's definitely vulnerable. Um, we know Georgia; it is still a tough state for Democrats. It doesn't help that Brian Kemp is now governor, and it doesn't help that we have that really absurd law that requires a runoff if nobody gets fifty percent, if nobody gets the majority of the vote. So, but yes, I do think Georgia is changing. Purdue is vulnerable. I, I hope Stacey Abram runs, but if she doesn't, I think we have some interesting alternative candidates. Yeah, I, my, my, my sense, and I don't have any inside track, but my sense is that um, Abrams is not going to run for Senate. That's just my sense. I just, I think if she really wanted to, she would have already begun running because people are already starting to talk about it. So, um, but that's just my, I, I haven't talked to her about it. I, I don't she hasn't called me. She never called me. <laughs> what are, are there any other Senate races that are interesting to you? Um, yeah, there are quite a few. Um, there is, we have Arizona up. That's one of our better pickup opportunities. Um, so last year we had an open Senate race. Kristen, Democrat Kirsten Cinema. she beat Martha McSally in a really close race. And then there was the other Arizona Senate seat, the one that John McCain held until he died. There was a temporary replacement, and after that guy, Jeff Flake, he didn't want to – I'm sorry, um, John Kyle, he's a form, he was a former Arizona senator who was kind of brought back for a few months. He decides he doesn't want to stick around much longer, and the appointment goes to another than Mark McSally, the person Arizona voters <laughs> Which was crazy. So, so she's, she'll be defending that seat, and the early Democratic frontrunner is Mark Kelly. He's a former astronaut. He's the husband of Gabrielle Giffords, the then congresswoman who was nearly assassinated about eight years ago. He's so far been an extremely good fundraiser. He brought in $4 million during his first three months of the race. That's huge. That's for a Senate race. That's great. Looks like you won't have too much primary opposition, but it's still early. So that's definitely one we're going to be watching. Um, Colorado's probably our best pickup opportunity. Cory Gardner, the Republican incumbent, won in a tight race in 2014 during the Republican wave. And Colorado really has not responded well to Trump. Democrats romped there during last year's midterms. Gardner, he's a smart candidate. He's a good fundraiser, but he's, he's very consistently voted with Trump. It's pretty tough to see him winning if Trump loses the state like he should, but you really never know. We have a bunch of candidates that are running already more are looking at it. So those are probably Colorado and then Arizona are probably our best pickup opportunities, but we have some other interesting targets. There's Tom Tillis in North Carolina, which is always pretty much consistently hosts close races, but it still does lean Republican. The Democratic field really is still taking shape there. We have a few candidates. National Democrats seem to be looking for somebody still don't really have anyone that obvious on the horizon. So North Carolina seems to be a state where things kind of always develop late, but that's definitely a target. There's Maine, Susan Collins. She's always won easily before, but she's taken some very controversial, shall we say, votes in D.C., especially to confirm Brett Kavanaugh. And after her speech, Democrats raised $4 million that will go to whoever her opponent is. Like just whoever wins the primary mm-hmm. is going to get $4 million right up front. And wow. we don't that, – that race is – that primary is also still taking shape. There are some candidates who are talking about running but haven't gotten in yet. So Maine, Maine's another one to watch, Georgia. Um, and then there's Texas. This one's, this one's interesting. Um, that state has had the longest drought of de- – that state has had the longest route of Democrats winning a statewide race. The last time a Democrat was elected to anything statewide in Texas, anything whatsoever, was 1994. So, oh my goodness, I didn't realize that. 
yeah. <laughs> I mean, back then, yeah, that was the year Ann Richards lost to George W. Bush, but we held a few offices like attorney general and state treasurer, which the Democrat won on a platform of abolishing her own office, which she did. So that's how long it's been since Democrats have won statewide in Texas. But Texas is changing. Beto O'Rourke kept it very, very close last year against Ted Cruz in the other Senate seat. Um, Beto's running for president now. He's off the table for Texas Senate. But it looks like Representative Joaquin Castro, the brother, the identical twin brother of presidential candidate, and it, Julian Castro looks – he's reportedly thinking about – he's reportedly <laughs> planning to run, but he hasn't gotten in yet. Another interesting candidate is MJ Hager. She, she's a former pilot, military pilot. She ran this really great race for the House last year in this Republican district north of Austin that hasn't been contested in a long time. She had this great viral video about all the adversity she's overcome in life and in the military. She raised millions on millions, and she thinks about running, so we might have an interesting primary there. So we do have a lot of targets, but again, we do need so much to go right. We, if, Al, if we lose Alabama, which pretty much expect to need to pick up four states, Colorado, we're probably favored there. Arizona, who knows? But we probably have a decent chance there, and that leaves two more, assuming we flip the White House. And after that, the math gets tough. States like Georgia, Maine, North Carolina, Texas, those are all doable, but I think we started at a disadvantage. Great analysis. Thank you. I'm going to pass it back to him for some more questions. So, Jeff, uh, I was thinking while, while you were talking about all the, the targets for next year in the Senate, there's kind of a major race coming up on November 5th of this year. That would be up in Kentucky in the governor's race. And so I wanted to ask you for a two-prong response here. First of all, can Governor Bevins be beaten? And I hope you say yes, he can for a variety of reasons. And secondly, if he does lose that race or if he should win that race, should we read anything into any tea leaves about a national climate surrounding that race? Those are some good questions. The first, can Devin be beaten? Yes, he can be. He's never been very popular in Kentucky. He's made uh-huh. some enemies. We had that teacher strike there last year when he tried to change pensions. We had uh-huh. – He's just, excuse me, he's never gotten along well with the GOP establishment. He has a history of making some very, very offensive comments. We had that one during a freeze in Kentucky where he said, well, children should just go out there. They, you know, toughen them up. And Al Roker himself (laughs) said, no, that is horrible advice. But it is still Kentucky. It's still a very red state. It has a history of electing Democrats down ballot, but... That might be changing. We do have some interesting candidates running in the May Democratic primary. Um, Attorney General Andy Bashir, he's the son of the last mm-hmm. Democratic governor, Steve Bashir. Um, state Auditor mm-hmm. Adam Edelin, um, State House Minority Leader Rocky Atkins. They're, they're all interesting candidates. Um, I do think Bevin's still the favorite. Kentucky is still a very red state. It is still very tough to get it for Democrats to get a good a good handle on that one. And Republicans just have so much more room for error. If we do win, I'm kind of hesitant to read too much into the trends there. Governor races, especially, they kind of often go just based on state level factors. I mean, during last year's democratic wave up here, in my home state of Massachusetts, the Republican governor won a landslide and that didn't really mean much. So, you know, if we win, if we win by a lot, maybe, but, I do think if we do win, it's probably going to be close. So I think if we win, it's going to be because of what Bevin's done more than anything else. So you would say if if, if Bevin should happen to lose, that, that doesn't mean necessarily that Mitch McConnell should get nervous, right? Not necessarily. Maybe if he goes down some sort of landslide, but Kentucky does – it's been – the last time Kentucky elected a Democrat for the Senate was 1992 when Wendell Ford was reelected. 
And mm-hmm. McConnell, he's unpopular for his own reasons, but in 2020, if Donald Trump isn't carrying Kentucky, then we could probably forget about everything we know about politics. So, right. <laughs> and it's just people have very many reasons for hating Mitch McConnell, but I just don't think there are very many voters out there who are going to vote for Donald Trump for president and then vote for a Democrat for the Senate. It's just yeah. very yeah. unlikely. Uh, I, I, I'm with you on that. Now, another state that, that you uh, alluded to was the state of North Carolina. And you've written about this situation uh, that's going on down there with the wire fraud and the barber, uh, bribery charges against uh, some Republican officials, and including the state party chair. Uh how serious is this? Could it badly damage the North Carolina Republican Party to the point that they could, uh, you know, kind of uh, have a blue sweep across the state next year? I I think it's serious legally, but I think next year the biggest issue by far is going to be Donald Trump. I think for the North Carolina uh-huh. governor's race, it's going to be the performance of Roy Cooper as governor, the Democratic governor. I, I don't mm-hmm. want to say this issue isn't going to matter, but I handles unless they actually catch the people who are going to be on the ballot in them. I don't mm-hmm. I don't think they tend to matter too much to voters. I think if the state party self destructs, then that will affect their fundraising and get out the vote activities. But Donald Trump mm-hmm. really is going to block out the sun. I think he's going to be the mm-hmm. biggest factor. He's going to be by far the biggest factor in how things go, and this is going to be very comparative. And, and so you're thinking Trump is the biggest factor on the ballot all the way, say, down to the legislative level in that state or? In every state. Uh-huh. In every state. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think you're right about that. I, I, I think the, the, the whole ball of wax next year is going to be Donald Trump straight up and down, love him or hate him. And that's the last major question I'm going to ask you tonight. I'm thinking that Donald Trump is probably going to hold 43 to 45% of the vote if he does go out on Fifth Avenue and take a shot at somebody. I think he has that devoted group right with him, and I think they'll all crawl through broken glass to vote for him. Therefore, I believe he has at least a decent chance at re-election. Would you agree with that? Unfortunately, yes, I would agree. I mean, how most of us four years ago thought the idea of him winning the Republican nomination, much less the general election, was a joke. It turned out uh-huh. not to be. Yeah, an incumbent president, they always have a they always have a decent shot to win. And you just you know, if we mention nominee generic, we always joke at Daily Coast elections that there's always the ideal generic democrat or generic republican where, you know, it's somebody who who embodies all the perfect things about the party and has no flaws. You know, if only we could nominate that person, but whomever we nominate, it's going to get attacked. They're going to they're going to have their foibles, they're going to get those foibles are going to get blown out way, way, way out of proportion by Fox News and Trump. And, mm-hmm. you know, Donald Trump in 2016, we saw it happen. Hillary Clinton got dragged down to the mud. And so voters who disliked both candidates, they overwhelmingly went with Trump. That might not happen in 2020 uh-huh. since Trump's going to be the incumbent, but we don't know. It's just, it's far too early. The Republicans are going to do everything they can to delegitimize whoever we nominate there's just mm-hmm. there's no perfect candidate out there who it's just who all the attacks are just going to bounce off of so whoever mm-hmm. is going to and they're just going to be ready for that and yeah trump has a decent chance to win no matter what and that's something we have to work very very hard to stop this is by and, this election is by yeah no means a gimme yeah, and, and and electorally, are are we looking at a similar scenario where on election night we are going to be watching uh, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin win those three uh, states and the ball game's over? Are we going to be looking in that direction on election night again as we were 
in 2016. I think so. And what we just saw in the Wisconsin Supreme Court race, where it was so tight, yeah, uh-huh. Wisconsin's, right. Wisconsin can go either way, probably. And there are other states, though, that we should target that went for Trump, Georgia, Arizona, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Florida, North Carolina, maybe even Texas. So I uh-huh. do think if if those three states go blue this time, it's I think we're in a good we're in a very good position. But and those aren't the be all and end all. But yeah, I think those are going to be the big battlegrounds again. Okay. And before we let you go tonight, Jeff, you haven't been on with us. Uh, in a while, and so I wanted to give you this opportunity to tell our listeners that listen to you tonight, or they might find you on social media or anywhere else where they could read your stuff or or hear from you personally. Great. So we at Daily Coast Elections, we publish a newsletter, the Daily Coast Elections Morning Digest. It goes out every weekday, Mm -hmm. um, every weekday morning. You can sign up at elections.dailycoast.com. And you can follow our Daily Coast Elections Twitter page at DK Elections. Um, you can follow me at Darth Jeff 90. Um, Darth Jeff 90. <laughs> it used to be sort of my nickname that I gave myself. And um, yeah, and from and from DK Amazing Elections, how those you can find. <laughs> I, I will say that when I picked it out. Oh wow! Ten years from now, I did not think that anyone would ever be talking about it now. But right. <laughs> well, Jeff, we want to thank you for being on with us, and we certainly uh, hope to have you back uh, all through the election season next year to give us your insight because it's going to be a busy and with Donald Trump in there uh, uh, an interesting time, shall we say? We oh, appreciate yeah. it, sir. Thanks so much, Seth. Oh, great to be back. Thank you, Jeff. Good, Good night. That was Jeff Singer of uh, Daily Coast Elections, an old friend of the show, and we are uh, glad to have him on. Catherine, before we go, we just got a couple of minutes. And uh, I wanted to ask you about... <laughs> It came out, you know, uh, in the last day or so that Trump wants to appoint uh, Herman Cain (laughs) to the board of the Federal Reserve. Oh, gee. uh, What's your thoughts on on, uh, Herman Cain? Well, you know, I don't don't talk about this very much, but my father was an economic advisor to President Kennedy and President Johnson, and was also mm-hmm. uh, witness to, at the Federal Reserve on a regular basis. He spent a lot of time in Atlanta uh, when I was a child um, testifying mm-hmm. at the Federal Reserve here. And um, mm-hmm. all I could say when I saw that announcement was, and he's been, um, he passed away a long time ago. He's not buried. He was um he was uh, cremated, but all I could all I could say was, if he was buried, <laughs> he would be spinning in his grave. Um, yeah, uh-huh. this is a terrible appointment um, for a whole list of reasons. Number one, I, I mean, we do know that um, Herman Cain did um, work at the Federal Reserve, I think, in Kansas City at some point in his life. Okay, fine, um, but it's a it's a purely political appointment, which is not good uh, in the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve has a history of being a pretty um, moderate and nonpartisan body. So that's one mark against it. Second, I mean, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of brilliant um, economists in this country, conservative, Republican, and, um, and moderate, and it just smacks of, um, you know, it's it's uh, back to, you know, how uh, the president said he was going to bring the very best people to the government. Well, the, this is not one of the very best people. I mean, he, he might mm-hmm. be okay at hosting a morning talk show, but he's not an economic wonder kind. Like, let's not mm-hmm. fool ourselves. What do you think? Mm-hmm. 
Well, you know, uh, I, I think you're right about all of that. Uh, for for starters, Kane thinks we ought to return to the gold standard. Okay. Oh, yeah, that, that, that's We've right, been yeah. off the gold standard. We've been off the gold standard. I believe Nixon took us off of that in 1971. Uh, as an inflation-fighting measure, and we've been off of it ever since. So uh, 48 years later, Kane thinks it's a good idea to reverse that, <laughs> which would produce a shock to the economy. A lot of people don't know this, Catherine, but Trump actually has two openings on the Federal oh, yeah. Reserve the Board. Guy. He wants to put Kane on there, and he wants to put a fellow by the name of Stephen Moore on there, and a sterling citizen. He is, too. It turns out that the Internal Revenue Service, of all people, they're seeking to collect over $75,000 from this gentleman (laughs) who, uh, you know, in unpaid taxes, and he claims he doesn't owe them anything, so he's in a big brouhaha with them. There's another thing that both these guys have in common, and that is that Cain and Moore have both been critical of the Federal Reserve. They don't like the Federal Reserve. They've never liked the Federal Reserve. And now Trump wants to put people on the board of the Federal Reserve who basically disagree with the fact that the Federal Reserve even exists. How does that, you know, if you notice he puts people in jobs like that that are, say, opposed to whatever yeah, like it is Perry. they're supposed to be over. Yeah, I mean, especially with things like environmental stuff. But now he's putting people into economic jobs that are that are opposed to the very organizations or departments that they're going to be regulating and, and looking over, uh, which I find... Uh, a little troubling to say the least, but you know we use that word a lot with Trump, don't we, Catherine? Yeah. Uh, the word uh, yeah. troubling. Uh, like like this week, you know, the Trump had this craziness with the border. You know, I'm not playing games with Mexico. He threatened uh, to shut the border down. If Mexico didn't do something, I believe he said about illegal immigration and drugs. There he goes thinking that drugs are flying through that border again instead of coming in at ports of entry, which is where most of them are coming. Of course, you know experts immediately panned the idea. They said it would produce an economic disaster. A lot with the, the auto industry would have to shut down within a week. And, uh, yeah, you know, I heard a, I, I heard like, a very troubling you, you, story about the auto industry. I mean, it, it was, um, I hope that's, I hope he heard that too. Like, I think that must have been part of why he backed off. Uh, well, you know, they, it wasn't just the auto industry either. You, people no. don't know this, but something like 40% of our fruit imports come from Mexico, and something like 70% of our vegetable imports come from Mexico. And and, and he, he's talking about placing tariffs on these things. Well, that would drive the price up at the grocery store, wouldn't it? Wouldn't, wouldn't we be the ones paying for that if he did that? Yes. Yeah, I mean, and it goes on and, yeah, and it goes on and on and on and on with this guy. He just keeps pulling these studs and doing these things. Well, the old clock on the wall is telling me that it's just about time to wrap this thing up. Uh, David, if you're listening, buddy, we, we, we hope for the best with your family situation and, and that everything's okay. And we certainly would like to, uh, Thank Jeff Singer from Daily Coast Elections for being on with us tonight and giving giving us a, a, a good better than half hour of, of of being able to pick his brain and and get some expertise from him about what's going on in this country right now. And so till next week, hopefully all of us will be back with you. It's the Kudzu Vine. Good night. Good night, y'all.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.